chapter 12. Exodus 12, and we'll start in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Let's open in a word of prayer tonight. Dear wonderful and heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to be able to come together, to be able to... Just study out your word tonight as we look through this start of Exodus chapter 12. We just pray that you might give us your wisdom, your guidance as we look at this first Passover and the instructions given to your people. We just pray that you might just help us to clearly and simply walk through this text and be able to just see what you had laid out for your people and that your name might be honored and glorified as a result. Lord, we just pray that you might hide me behind you, behind your cross. Lord, help us to just walk away having a wonderful appreciation of all you have done and the sacrifice you, you have made for us and that you died in our place. Be with us now, Lord, we pray, and allow your name to be glorified, we pray, in Christ's precious and wondrous name. Amen. The last time we saw Moses and Pharaoh was in their argument straight after the ninth plague, which is found at the end of Exodus chapter 10. And in Exodus chapter 11, we find the warnings of the final plague. But as I started to study it out this week, I realized that most of this discussion found in chapter 11, we had already covered, or we would start to cover as we got into the Passover found here in Exodus chapter 12. So I decided to head straight into chapter 12. We see here the Lord starts to give an instruction once again to Moses and to Aaron, giving instructions for the people of Israel. And he lays out the start of their calendar year here in verses 1 and 2. 
And then he gives them the instructions and describes for them this first Passover and what they are to do here in the land of Egypt. And Israel could have very easily ignored these instructions. Israel could have very easily heard these instructions and simply not followed them. However, if they had done so, if they'd ignored God's instructions for them and ignored what God had set out for them to do at the Passover, then they would have been judged just like the Egyptians. It was imperative then for the Israelites that they need to obey and follow God's commands. And so tonight we're going to start to look at the Passover. We're going to start to see some of these instructions and we're going to see some of the components of the Passover and their link to Christ. We'll see some components of the Passover and their link to Christ. First of all, we're going to look at the feast of the Passover overall. The feast of the Passover. Let's have a look in verse 8 through, uh, verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now I thought we could either start with the lamb or we could start with the side dishes for this feast. So I decided that we'd come into the side dishes first before we start to look to the lamb in just a moment. And the first one that's named here for us after mentioning the uh, lamb itself is the unleavened bread in verse 8. Of course, we've heard many times, as many of us throughout the years have heard about the unleavened bread that the Israelites had to eat. But why was it unleavened? Well, of course, there's two aspects to this. The, first, the second one, which I'm sure we'll know, being unleavened, being a picture of sinless. But the other one was, of course, that the Israelites need to make this bread quickly. They need to make this bread quickly and be able to create this bread quickly and then be able to eat it quickly before they left. You see, unleavened bread was quite fast for them to be able to make, which meant them, they would be able to get a fast getaway when it was time for them to be able to leave the land of Egypt. So they didn't have to sit there and wait for the leavened bread that they would have made to be able to rest and rise. Rather, they would be able to quickly make this bread and bake it and cook it. And then they would then quickly be able to get away and leave the land of Egypt as soon as God told them it was time. And so there's that aspect of it. And then, of course, we know the aspect of leaven being a picture of sin. In verse 15 of Exodus chapter 12, we sort of see this idea of the need to remove leaven from their houses. Exodus twelve fifteen says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. This very firm and important and clear instructions for the Israelites that they were to completely remove leaven from their houses. They were to have this only unleavened bread as they ate and get rid of any bit of leaven that they might find from in, inside their houses. And of course, we can look into Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12, where we see the leaven of the Pharisees. And we can see the 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, which is a picture of leaven being a picture of carnality in the church at Corinth. We can see that often 
leaven is seen as sin and corruption. Now, I'm not turning there because if you want to hear more about that, you can look back a couple of weeks at Pastor's message from the 21st of May. I looked through it yesterday afternoon as I was starting to go through it and going, oh, I need to make sure I get this right and not contradict myself or contradict him here. But it's a very clear picture in most of the cases that leaven was seen as sin and corruption. But we can very clearly see here in Exodus 12 that leaven is a picture of sin for these verses. And of course, we can then look and see the unleavened bread is this beautiful picture of Christ. The Israelites were to have this unleavened bread because it was removed from leaven, just like Christ was completely removed from sin. There was no sin found in him at all. He was without sin. He was the perfect saviour. And as we'll start to see later on as we get into the Passover lamb, that there was no sin found in him at all from many different parties as they looked and observed his life. So they had the unleavened bread. They also had the bitter herbs. Look again in verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, I looked through commentator upon commentator upon commentator and no one could really actually work out what these bitter herbs were. They were willing to be able to take a guess, but even most of them still said that we do not know what these bitter herbs actually referred to. Many did, however, guess that it might be talking about a wild lettuce or a bitter salad that might have been made at the time. But many, if not all of them, agreed that it was a very clear picture of the bit of bondage that the Israelites were going through. Turn back to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, and we see this bit of bondage that the Israelites were serving under as they served the Egyptians in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 and starting in verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all matter of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And so they were to eat these bitter herbs as a reminder for them that when they left the land of Egypt, whenever they had this Passover, they were reminded of the bitterness of bondage that they were under. And so when they would later crave the joys of Egypt and crave the things that they had in Egypt, they would partake of this Passover and be reminded of the bitterness of serving under the Egyptians. One of the commentators said this, which I thought summed it up quite well. Whatever may be implied under the term bitter herbs, whether bitter herbs or bitter ingredients, in general, it was designed to put them in mind of their bitter and severe bondage in the land of Egypt from which God was now about to deliver them. So they ate of these bitter herbs reminding of what they were about to be delivered from. But one or two commentators also reminded that this bitterness may also have pointed to the cross. This bitterness was also pointing to the suffering that Christ had as he hung there upon the cross. As he went through this torturous, painful 
feeling of being crucified, of having his head bleeding with the crown of thorns, as he has his back rubbing against the cross, as he stands up and goes down to try and get some sort of breath into his body, we're reminded of the bitter pain and suffering that he went through as he died upon the cross for our sins, providing us with salvation. So the bitter herbs here could very easily also be this wonderful reminder of what Christ suffered for us. So he was sinless through the unleavened bread, the bitter suffering that Christ went through. But we also start to see that they had to eat it in haste. They had to eat this Passover in haste. Look back again in Exodus 12. Let's jump down to verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Israelites needed to be ready to go. They finally had this chance to flee from Egypt, to leave behind this slavery, to leave behind this bondage that they'd been under for many years under the Egyptians. And they were finally heading to the promised land. But as they take part in this feast, as they take part in this Passover, they're reminded that this is going to need to be done quite quickly. And says here that, first of all, that their loins were to be girded. That meant that their clothes or their cloaks were to be tucked into their belts. They often use that older traditional dress that we often see. And they were then to grab the bottom part of their skirt or their bottom part of their dress and be able to pull it up and tuck it into their belts when they were traveling. And this allowed them to be able to travel safely, especially over long distances, and not be at risk of tripping or falling over. So they were to have their loins girded with their clothes tucked into their belts, ready for travel. Whereas when they were around the house and doing their, main, uh, their day-to-day jobs, they would have left their uh, clothes untucked and their clothes hanging out. But here as they got ready to travel, they were told to be able to tuck in their clothes into the belts. They're also to ensure that they had their shoes on their feet. Again, seen in verse 11. See, it was very unusual for people to wear shoes inside. They would take off their dusty, dirty shoes at the door as they got there and they would leave them there and then walk around the house barefoot. And so it was very unusual for people to be able to be walking around inside the house with their shoes on. They would simply leave their shoes at the door. And of course, the instruction here, where they were to then have their shoes on their feet as they ate and partook in this feast, simply showed that they needed to be ready to go. That they didn't need to be waiting for someone to put on their shoes and help them to be able to get their shoes ready to go, but rather everyone was to have their shoes on their feet ready to be able to travel as soon as the instruction came to go. So the Israelites were instructed to wear shoes as they partook in this feast because they needed to be ready to head out to the promised land. And they're then also told in verse 11 to have their staff in their hand. They need to use their staffs often on a long trek. 
They needed to use their staff to be able to help them as they traveled over the rocky hard ground to be able to give them extra balance as they travel. And so all these things, having their loins girded, having their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand, all pointed to these Israelites needing to be ready to go, ready to leave the land as soon as the instruction came for them to go. And each of these steps, the loins girded, the shoes on the feet, the staff on the hand, before the instruction had even came was a huge step of faith for the Israelites. They weren't simply eating the feast and then hoping that the instruction might come, oh, off you go now, and then they had to you know, fix up their clothes and fix on their shoes and get everything ready. No, they were stepping out in faith by having all those things ready before the call came for them to leave. Of course, it's a wonderful picture for us as having that faith in God for our salvation. We can be able to have our faith in God and putting our hope and trust in Him for salvation as we trust in the wonderful Saviour that has saved us from our sins, that has saved us from our bitter bondage. The perfect, sinless one was able to save us from our bitter bondage and we need to be, then be able to believe in him in faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is such a wonderful reminder of this fact. For by grace are you saved through faith and that know of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can step out in faith. John 20 verse 31 says, but, not, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We can simply come to him only in faith. And that's what the Israelites were doing here. They were stepping out and believing that God would deliver them by faith. And we can be able to trust in the Lord as our Savior through faith. Believing and trusting in him that he will provide salvation however of course we know that the main dish at this feast was not bitter herbs and was not unleavened bread it was the passover lamb so we've seen the feast of the passover now let's look at the passover lamb itself the passover lamb let's look back and stay in verse 3 speak ye unto all the congregation of israel saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. There was no doubt through the scriptures that Israel looked to the Passover lamb. In Genesis 3.21, we see that God made coats of skins for Adam and Eve. 
because they had sinned and disobeyed God, God then made them coats of skins, probably a lamb for them to be able to cover over for their sin. In Genesis 4, we saw that God accepted Abel's firstling of his flock, a lamb. He did not accept Cain's efforts and uh, vegetables and crop that he'd made, but God accepted the lamb of Abel's firstling of his flock. And of course, in Genesis 22, we have that wonderful reminder and promise that as as Abraham and Isaac head up the mountain, and Isaac asks, where is the lamb for the offering? Abraham says unto his son, God will provide himself a lamb. And so as Moses now tells the people to take a lamb, I'm sure they weren't surprised. I'm sure they weren't shocked by this fact that they were to take this lamb for their house. We see there in verse 3 and verse 4, they take this lamb for a house or a lamb for two houses if it was a, a couple of small houses or a small family. And they would take this lamb for a house as a substitute for their oldest son. For if they did not take of this lamb, then the oldest son would die that night as the Lord came through. But of course, they did not need the biggest lamb. They did not need the most largest lamb. They did not need a lamb that was massive and huge. They needed to find the lamb that was sufficient for their house and perfect without blemish. You see, the Israelites did not need any wastage. They needed this flock. They needed these lambs when they got to the promised land. Look back again in chapter 10, verse 24. Because this gives a contrast about what it had been, they'd been offered previously. In Exodus 10, 24, it says, And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. In this last interview that Moses had had with Pharaoh, Pharaoh had offered for the people to go. They were to take the men, the women, their children, everything could go except for their flocks. But God had said no. Moses said no to Pharaoh. Why? Because they knew that they would need these, their flock to be able to eat, but also their flock to be able to sacrifice and serve the Lord. And so as they come now here to this Passover, there's no point in simply killing as many lambs as possible because they only needed to take one lamb that was sufficient for their house. They did not need any wastage. In verse 5, we see what sort of lamb it needs to be. Your lamb shall be a male of the first year. You see, it was still at a young age. Just as Christ was taken young and still in his prime of his life, it was, this lamb was to be taken in its first year. It was to be taken then from the sheep or the goats. It didn't matter which, which I thought was quite interesting until I found across this little uh, comment from one of the commentators. The Hebrew word seh, S-E-H in our English, and translated here lamb, 
is quite a neutral word and should be translated head of small stock, applying equally to sheep and goats of any age. The Hebrews, like the Chinese, seem to have regarded any distinction between sheep and goats as a minor subdivision. Probably because of this, to separate the sheep from the goats is proverbial of God's discernment in New Testament times, seen in Matthew 25 verse 32. Those who know the small black or brown sheep of Asia with short curly fleeces will appreciate the difficulty of distinguishing them except by their tails. So this probably points to why it was a sheep or a goat taken. Because it was one of the two and not easily recognizable between the two. So they would take this lamb, male of the first year, and they were to take it and keep it until the 14th day. It was to be set aside with the family. Where the rest of the flock might be out, this lamb was set aside with the family, possibly even in the house with the people. It was then cared for. It was loved. It was looked after. It became like the family pet. This special lamb for those couple of days was, had this special place. And Guzik said this, In this way the lamb became part of the family, so that by the time it was sacrificed on the 14th day, it was cherished, but it was mourned, because God wanted the sacrifice of something precious. And so they took this lamb, they kept this lamb, but they also were keeping this lamb for those several days for them to be able to check for any impurities. Because they knew that this lamb needed to be, in verse 5, without blemish, which was such a key point. It needed to be without blemish. It needed to be perfect. Now, it wasn't for taste or any other means. I'm sure a lamb with one eye still tastes exactly the same as a perfect lamb. But this lamb that they had needed to be perfect in every way because it was such a wonderful picture of Christ. Just like we saw with the unleavened bread, we, need to, we see this picture of Christ perfectly. A picture of his first coming where the lamb was sufficient for all and sufficient for the house. Just like Christ was sufficient for us. And that Christ was without blemish just as the lamb was without blemish. We can look at several verses and Hebrews 10, 12 is one, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. In the fact that Christ made that sacrifice and that was sufficient. There did not need to be an ongoing sacrifice like the Israelites had, but the simple one sacrifice was made sufficient for all. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we see this same picture again of Christ, the one without blemish. Hebrews 9, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Even Pilate himself said that he was without blemish. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Christ was tempted yet without sin. Christ was the perfect lamb. He was without sin. 
There was no thing, nothing wrong with him. He was simply perfect, just like this lamb pictured here in the Passover, was to be perfect and without blemish. But I found another little wonderful picture here. Because it goes on to say in verse 6, And you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. This phrase, kill it in the evening, was the time set at about as the sun was starting to go down and set. So approximately 3 p.m. our time. And this gave them then enough cooking time to be able to cook and roast the lamb. And then they could then eat and feast on the lamb and the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs throughout that night under the full moon as it was at this time of the year. But this phrase here, kill it in the evening, is also that same time of a 3 p.m. or considered in the later days of the New Testament time as the ninth hour. Which, of course, we know as being the time of Christ's death. Let's have a look in Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and starting in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamestabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. All this happened about the ninth hour, this same time of about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The same time that the lamb was being sacrificed for the Passover. And then, of course, we can see that the lamb was roasted, cooked over a fire, cooked like a barbecue. It was not to be boiled like many other of their sacrifices had been done so. Second Chronicles in chapter 35, you don't have to turn there, but gives us an idea of what sort of sacrifices they had to make. But the difference between this sacrifice that they had at the Passover, Second Chronicles 35 and verse 13 says, And they roasted the Passover with fire according to the ordinance. But the other holy offerings sod they in pots and in cauldrons and in pans and divided them speedily among all the people. So many of the other offerings they put into pots and they boiled and they cooked that way. But here the Passover was very different. The Passover was roasted with fire. It was not a stew but roasted. And fire throughout the Old Testament is often seen as God's judgment. God's judgment being placed upon mankind or God's judgment placed upon different people and upon different nations. And of course here, as this lamb is roasted on the fire, on flames, we see the judgment placed upon Christ. 
This God's judgment was meant for us. This God's judgment was meant for sinners. But because of the lamb that was put in place, because of Christ who was put in place, our sinless substitute, he could take our place and the punishment was placed upon him. They roasted this lamb just like Christ had his, the punishment of us placed upon him. And then we see also that they roasted it whole, his head with his legs, as we see in verse 9. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. All that was to be roasted, it wasn't to be broken and placed into pot. Rather, they roasted as a whole lamb together. And this, of course, is a wonderful picture of Christ not having his legs broken. We know the story of where Christ was placed upon the cross and he died there on the cross. And then the soldier came by to see if he was dead. And he pierced his side and saw the blood and water came out. And he recognized that Christ had died and so he did not need to break the legs of Christ, just like uh, where his, the other thieves beside him, they, uh, they broke their legs. And where the lamb here is roasted its head with its legs, it's roasted as one whole piece. It's not being broken at all. It's not being broken up as they would have had to break the bones as they tried to put it into a pot. Rather, it was roasted as a whole. And so time and again throughout this Passover, we see this wonderful picture of Christ. The wonderful fulfillment of prophecy where we see the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God receiving our judgment. The Lamb of God dying on the cross. The Lamb of God dying as our perfect substitute. And how then we should respond to this? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20 gives us an idea of what we should do as a result. It says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have been purchased by Christ. He has bought us. He has paid the price for us on the cross. How did he pay that price? He paid it with his life. Where did he pay it? He paid it on the cross. And what did he pay it with? By the shedding of his blood, which is the third component and one of the most important components of the lot. But it's getting late, so you'll have to wait for next time to be able to get that component. And we'll get to be able to look at that a bit more in depth next time. But how should we respond to all this? How should we respond to the Passover lamb, considering he died for us? Well, we should honour him, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 6. We should glorify him. We should serve him because of all that he has done for us. We should leave our lives to be able to glorify him, to be able to serve him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's make sure that we give our lives back as a holy, acceptable sacrifice 
to our Saviour. Let's make sure, as a result, that we live and serve Him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear wonderful and heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful picture of the Passover lamb. That most of all that we see, our wonderful Saviour. For the bitter suffering that he went through. For the great sacrifice that he made. That he was sinless. He did not deserve death. He did not deserve the suffering. And yet he died in our place. We just pray that you might help us to always remember this. And then as a result, because we know that he died in our place, help us then therefore to be able to serve and honour and glorify him. Lord, just pray that you might help us to remember of the wonderful sacrifice that was made by Christ on the cross. And help us then therefore to be able to honour and glorify you. As a result, Lord, we pray in Christ's wonderful and precious name.